Good afternoon. I would like to extend a warm welcome to the graduates of the class, the great class of 2003, and of the graduate school, but most particularly to the families and friends, members of the faculty, and other guests who join us today and for the next few days to celebrate the accomplishments of these graduates, our sons and daughters, students and friends. The ceremonies around graduation are a celebration of the fundamental mission of an institution of higher learning, to discover and teach and transmit new knowledge, and a salute to the success of this year's graduates. We are honored that so many families and friends are present to participate in this affirmation and celebration of who we are as a university and who you, the graduates, have become during your Princeton years. At Princeton's first baccalaureate ceremony, Samuel Davies, the fourth president of the university, urged the graduates to serve your generation. Live not for yourselves, but for the public. President Patton, just over a century ago, echoed those same thoughts when he addressed the class of 1900. He said, let me tell you that there is nothing so great in life as love, nothing so sweet as service, no pleasure like that of feeling you are conferring pleasure on others. Live, he suggested, the unselfish life. Separated by some 150 years, these statements express similar thoughts which are no less powerful for their simplicity. Serve others. Put your knowledge to good use. That was the message then, and that is my message to you today. As president of the university, I also have the privilege of expressing Princeton's good wishes for you in the years to come. And here I will draw on an image that Dean of the Faculty Joseph Taylor evoked in his acceptance speech of the Nobel Prize in Physics. He said with his characteristic modesty that he and his colleagues were simply enjoying the privilege of doing what we like best, satisfying our curiosities by asking and answering questions. We sought no other reward than the pleasure of an exciting journey. That is what I hope for you on Tuesday, that in the intellectual curiosity left as yet unsatisfied and that you will pursue for the rest of your life. May your steps out of Fitzrandolph Gates on Tuesday mark the next steps on an exciting journey that you began at Princeton.
Please stand. A'udhu Billahi Minash Rajim Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Ar-Rahmanirrahim Maliki Yawmiddin Iyaka na'budu wa iyaka nasta'in Ihdina sirat al-mustaqim Sirat al-ladina anamta alayhim Ghayr al-maqdubi alayhim Waladdallin Ameen That was Surah Fatiha, the opening chapter of the Quran, the holy book of Islam. And now the translation. You're welcome to read along with me. In the name of God, the compassionate, the merciful. Praise be to God, the cherisher of the worlds, the compassionate, the merciful, master of the day of judgment. You alone we worship and your aid we seek. Show us the straight way, the way of those whom you favored not those who have incurred your wrath, nor those who have gone astray. Dear God, we ask your blessing on our gathering today. As seniors, families of seniors, faculty, staff, and other members of the Princeton community, we rejoice in the class of 2003 in all its diversity and common life. With them, we represent many faiths and many convictions. We acknowledge the hard work we have done to be open to the stranger and the joy that comes with our expanding circle of friends. Help us to build upon this work so that we may be ever more open to the world and ever more ready to embrace our connection with every member of the human family. We thank you for the gift of friendship and loyalty and ask that all of us standing together today may be instruments of your reconciling love. May we be united in common devotion to truth to justice, and to the needs of those who have no one to advocate for them. All this we ask of you, bestower of all blessings, as we lift up the class of 2003. Together and individually, may each of us be wakeful, watchful, discerning, and true of heart. May all wisdom be ours, all self-knowledge and all humility be ours, all compassion be ours, and all peace, this day and forevermore. Amen. Please be seated for the readings.
A reading from the Metta Sutra. Those who wish to attain peace should practice being upright, humble, and capable of using loving speech. Let them know how to live simply and happily, with senses calmed, without being covetous and carried away by the emotions of the majority. Let them not do anything that will be disproved by the, of, by the wise ones. This is what they will contemplate. May everyone be happy and safe, and may their hearts be filled with joy. May all living beings live in security and peace. Beings who are frail or strong, tall or short, big or small, visible or not visible, near or far away, already born or yet to be born. May all of them dwell in perfect tranquility. Let no one do harm to anyone. Let no one put the life of anyone in danger. Let no one, out of anger or ill will, wish anyone harm. Just as a mother loves and protects her only child at the risk of her own life, we should cultivate boundless love to offer to all living beings in the entire cosmos. We should let our boundless love pervade the whole universe above, below, and across. Our love will know no obstacles. Our heart will be absolutely free from hatred and enmity. Whether standing or walking, sitting or lying, as long as we are awake, we should maintain this mindfulness of love in our own heart. This is the noblest way of living. Free from wrong views, greed, and sensual desires, living in beauty and realizing perfect understanding, those who practice boundless love will certainly transcend birth and death. Here ends the reading. This reading from Psalm 19 will be recited responsibly. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows forth God's handiwork. Although they have no words or language, and their voices are not heard, In the deep has God set a pavilion for the sun. It comes forth like a bridegroom out of his chamber. It rejoices like a champion to run its course. The law of the Lord is perfect and revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure and gives wisdom to the innocent. 
The fear of the Lord is pure and endures forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. A reading from the letter to James. Do not merely listen to the law and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the law but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and, after going away, forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Here ends the reading.
It is a great pleasure for me to introduce today's speaker, Princeton University's Dean of Admission, Fred Hargadon. It is no exaggeration to say that over the past 15 years, Dean Fred, as he has become known to the over 17,500 Princetonians that he has admitted, has left his indelible mark on Princeton and shaped the world's image of a Princetonian. He has increased both the academic qualifications and the diversity of the class. It is no coincidence that during Fred's term, the varsity teams have won more championships the orchestra has sailed new heights. The creative arts in 185 Nassau Street have raised their profile. And the entire student body has become more ambitious in reaching for academic challenge. Fred could do what looked like the impossible to us mere mortals see beyond the tons of paper that flow into West College each fall and find you, the rare pearl. Princeton has been described as a premier research university with a small liberal arts college at its heart. No one is closer to that heart than Fred. Despite his demanding job, he is omnipresent on campus. In fact, as a developmental biologist, I am more than a little suspicious that there are a number of Fred Hargadon clones on campus. Everywhere I look, I see Fred at athletic events where he can tell me the name of every student playing on the field and sitting on the sidelines, at theater and music events, and yes, even humiliating himself at the Triangle Club shows. Nor do I know of anyone who is more dedicated to the principles we stand for, excellence, in academic and extracurricular activities, commitment to the service of others and to integrity, respect for the talents and the interests of others. If it is true that Princeton, and before that Stanford and Swarthmore, where he directed admissions earlier in his career, have contributed leaders in all walks of life throughout the world, then the world owes Dean Fred a major debt. Fred Hargadon retires this summer as Dean, and the procession on Tuesday through the Fitzrandolph Gates will mark for both you, the graduates, and Dean Fred a new beginning. It seems particularly appropriate this year to call on him to help us say to you, hail and farewell, Fred Hargadon.
class of 2003. I am pleased and honored to have been invited to share in one of the events surrounding your graduation and to share that with you, your families, your friends, and members of the university staff and faculty. I am also, as may be obvious, more than a little nervous at addressing you from this elevated pulpit <laughs> in this magnificent chapel. In thinking about occasions of this sort in the past, I was once moved to write a poem, which fortunately for the cultural standing of Princeton, I am not often moved to do. When I was invited to make some remarks to you today, one verse of that poem came immediately to mind. I know not whence came this practice now customary of according a lesser light the role of a luminary, of providing him a podium and an audience sedentary, then allowing him to speak with effects quite temporary. Your parents will recognize when I say I think I wrote that in the days when I thought Ogden Nash was the greatest American poet. When I asked President Tillman what a baccalaureate speaker was supposed to say, she told me just to share my accumulated wisdom with you. I found that momentarily flattering but you'll be relieved to know that I later figured out that that was her polite way of telling me to be brief. <laughs> For the life of me, I can't remember who spoke in and around events like this at my own college commencement, let alone remember anything such speakers may have said. That fact made me realize that it is one thing to simply sit back and wait for obscurity to catch up with me. It is quite another to stand up here and reach out for it as I am this afternoon. <laughs> Nevertheless, it's great to look out and see all of you here. When I last spoke to you as a class, it was almost four years ago at freshman orientation in Richardson Auditorium. If I remember correctly, I made it a point to tell you that while virtually all of you had finished high school in the top 10% of the class, there would be no getting around the fact that 90% of you could expect to finish Princeton somewhere below the top 10% and that you shouldn't worry about it. Instead, relax and simply go about obtaining a terrific education for yourselves. Well, if I'm to believe all of the reports I've read this past year about great inflation, the impossible has happened. <laughs> and all of you apparently have managed to finish in the top 10% or something close to that. 
Obviously, we must have made particularly good selections in 1999. As you anticipate the next few days and moving on from Princeton to whatever lies ahead, I am reminded of the opening paragraph of one of my favorite books, The Phantom Tollbooth. It reads as follows. There was a little boy named Milo who didn't know what to do with himself, not just sometimes, but always. When he was in school, he longed to be out, and when he was out, he longed to be in. On the way, he thought about coming, and coming home, he thought about going. I strongly suspect that there is a little bit of Milo in all of us, happy at the prospect of moving on, but having mixed feelings about not returning in the fall. While it's nice to have college done and over with, you're probably already a little bit sad at leaving this beautiful campus and all of the friends you've made here. As my colleagues will tell you, commencement is always the most difficult time of year for me, giving rise as it does to a host of mixed feelings on my part. On the one hand, no one could be more pleased for you and your graduation than I am. While it may seem to you to have taken a long time to reach this moment, for me, it seems to have gone by all too quickly. And having had the opportunity of crossing paths with you over the past four years, I find it very hard to say goodbye. When I first thought about what I'd say to you this afternoon, I did play around with the idea of simply standing up telling you, don't go, and then sitting down. <laughs> it would have been a landmark baccalaureate talk. But that obviously wouldn't work for any number of reasons, not least of all, our needing to find some place to put the class of 07 when they arrive this fall. And even if you wanted to stick around a little longer, I doubt that you could afford to given that the university has probably already taken your and your parents' credit worthiness to its limits. Moreover, I think you now need to put some distance between Princeton and yourselves so that you can begin to more fully appreciate and place more value on that which after a few years here you may easily begin to take for granted or as one aspiring applicant put it, take for granted. <laughs> My experience suggests that it is impossible for you to fully appreciate at this moment all that you have learned and accomplished and the ways in which you have grown and changed over the last four years. Much of what you have learned from the faculty, from your friends, from teammates or coaches, from fellow performers on one or another stage, or from your experiences in the lab or writing JPs and senior theses, may become apparent to you only at different moments and on different occasions throughout the rest of your lives, triggered perhaps by particular places, problems, or even those occasional moments when you have time to simply reflect on where you are 
and how you got there. There is a short poem by Yeats that for me at least captures and puts into perspective what it is that an education such as the one you received here at Princeton is all about. It's entitled Gratitude to the Unknown Instructors. And it goes as follows. What they undertook to do, they brought to pass. All things like a drop of dew on a blade of grass. The unknown instructors may, of course, be anyone, not just a faculty member, but also a friend, a roommate, someone you met on an OA trip as a freshman, a coworker on an internship or service project, or perhaps a proctor or public safety officer who rescued you from your own foolishness at one time or another. It may even be someone you've never met, but have only read or read about in one or another of your classes here. In other words, I think you need to take the long view when it comes to judging just how much you've gained from your experiences here. The value of your Princeton education is not to be measured solely or even largely by how much more information you've gotten under your belt at age 21 or 22 than you had at age 17 or 18, but rather also by how much more receptive you've learned to become, receptive to ideas, to ways of thinking, to ways of speaking and listening, to framing a hypothesis and testing it, to knowing the difference between inference and evidence, to understanding experiences outside your own, to knowing something about the world, both at its smallest, most molecular, and at its largest, most global. While your diploma will mark and recognize your having completed the requirements for a bachelor's degree at what is arguably one of the most demanding undergraduate institutions in the country. By no means is it meant to certify that you are now a completely educated person. Rather, you should consider it as hard-earned evidence that Princeton now believes that you will be well prepared to continue to educate yourselves for decades to come. If you are wise, you will use what you have learned here and parlay it into additional educational returns many, many times over in the years ahead. I suspect that I am far from being the alone when I tell you that most of what I have learned in life, I learned after college. But having said that, there isn't any doubt in my mind that it was my college education that gave me the tools and the incentive, and perhaps most importantly of all, the desire to keep learning. While I am far from a far more educated person now than I was upon leaving college, alas, it is because I have become much more aware now than I was when I graduated of just how much I didn't know that I didn't even know I didn't know. And just how much I still don't know, but would like to know. 
As an old African proverb put it, not to know is bad, not to want to know is worse. While I can't remember very much from all of the courses I took in college, or by now, even which courses I took, there were special moments in some of those courses that came to mean a great deal to me years afterwards. One such moment, embarrassing at the time, occurred in my freshman English course. It helps the story to know that when I was a freshman, I was the same age as all of you today are. Having just come out of the Army, a valuable but not exactly vocabulary building experience. <laughs> in that freshman English course, we were reading Huckleberry Finn and the professor asked me what it signified when Mark Twain described the clouds coming up as Huck and Jim were going down the river on the raft. As I remember it, I gave the best imitation I could muster of having understood the question, of having previously thought hard about just what Mark Twain signified in writing about those clouds. And I authoritatively replied, I think it means it's going to rain. <laughs> well, needless to say, that wasn't the correct answer or at least wasn't the answer he wanted. The professor kept after me for quite a while, probably just for 20 minutes or so, but it seemed like an eternity. Finally, he gave up and said it signified the coming storm in the lives of Huck and Jim. Well, not being a complete idiot, I said, sure, that's it. As I say, I was both embarrassed and nonplussed and we both moved on, although I suspect that he may have developed an ulcer after that encounter and named it after me. <laughs> Years later, after I took up reading seriously, I have often thought back to that moment, laugh about it now. I think it was James Thurber who said that humor is emotional chaos remembered in tranquility. And I absolutely treasure that moment. Ultimately, I concluded that there wasn't any way in the world that the professor could have known for sure what Twain had in mind, and I certainly didn't, but that it didn't matter. What mattered was that in that one class, that professor taught me to escape the prison of literalness when reading literature, a lifelong gift I didn't recognize as such at the time but that I now consider priceless. I would wager a lot that for many of you, there will be similar moments in your future. When a given lecture or a given book or a given faculty member's method of reasoning or conducting an experiment will, at just the right moment, be recalled and take on a significance for you that you couldn't have imagined when you were here. If your diploma connotes the acquisition of a set of skills and habits that will stand you in good stead the rest of your lives, I hope that it will also serve as a constant reminder to you of your good fortune in having been able to attend a university 
as rich in resources and people as this one, and will lead you to use that good fortune in whatever ways you can and whenever you can on behalf of those less fortunate than yourself. I have never interpreted Princeton's motto in the nation's service and in the service of all nations to mean simply becoming a congressman or Senate majority leader or Secretary of Defense or Director of the FBI to pick just a few public offices at random. but rather meaning that in whatever career you happen to follow, however humble or exalted it may be, using what you know and the resources at your disposal in as public-spirited a manner and as generously as possible on behalf of others. In other words, to be a good citizen in the broadest sense of that term. That, I would like to think, is the special message written in invisible ink on a Princeton diploma. Now, some of you may know precisely what you will be doing next year, and some, indeed, some of you may know precisely what you will be doing for the next six or eight years. But many of you probably have no idea about the immediate future and may, may be uncomfortable about that. Don't be. If your parents ask you once in a while what you plan to do or be, don't hesitate to remind them just how far ahead of you are that you are than your baccalaureate speaker who at your age was just beginning college. By the way, in case it's of any solace to you, I am sure I have been asked what do you plan to do next, at least as often as you have these past few months. And I long ago became comfortable with, other, with uttering what I consider the second three sweetest words in the world, I don't know. Just between you and me, though, I think I'm going to write a song, Willie Nelson style, <laughs> titled, Mamas Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Deans of Admission. Look, for all of the expectations that come along with graduating from college and making the transition to the so-called real world, those of us who have lived a while know the wisdom in one wag's definition of transition as being nothing more than that interval between two other transitions. In other words, life is one transition after another. Hey, I'm all for having aspirations and setting goals and making plans and the like, but I encourage you to value serendipity. That is, keeping an open mind and allowing enough room in your lives for good things to happen to you simply as the result of chance, place, or time. I'm here today making a plug for not being so narrowly focused that you don't leave room in your lives for good things to happen to you by luck. Occasionally, one or another of you has asked me how I came to do what I've been doing. It is certainly not something I ever set out to do, and in fact, it was the result of a long series of happenstances that in my sentimental moments, 
I trace back to having decided to take Russian in my second year of college for no other reason on earth than that I had learned that an attractive young woman from Greece I had badly wanted to meet had signed up for that course. <laughs> While nothing ever came of my infatuation with that young woman from Greece, save for the fact that I still remember her name, <laughs> and while I hesitate to admit it in the event any directors of studies are present this afternoon, it turned out to be the most fortuitous course selection I've ever made, for it ultimately led to fellowships, which in turn led to teaching politics at Swarthmore, which in turn led to my becoming a dean of admissions and ultimately to a life largely spent in as interesting and satisfying an occupation as any I could have ever imagined or dreamt about. All without a plan, mind you, but with a lot of serendipitous good luck. Life rarely follows a straight path. There are lots of ups and downs, sideways movements, hundreds of different paths, some shorter, some longer, and some more arduous than others. In all probability, on more than one occasion, you'll recognize both the frustration and the imperative captured by that Yankee philosopher, Yogi Berra, when he advised, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> Life, I have decided, is a little bit like one of those lines for a major attraction at Disney World. Thanks to human engineering, they managed to make us think we have finally reached the front of the line, only to learn that the line turns right and again stretches out way ahead of us. Something like thinking we've got it made when we get our driver's license, and then we realize that's not all there is to life. Or when we graduate from high school and realize that's not all there is to life. When we graduate from college, and when we get our first job, and so forth, the line keeps turning to the right just when you think you've gotten to the head of it. I've also learned the value of small gestures and strongly commend them to you. Among the most important lessons I've learned is that the least expensive but often most treasured gifts in the world are simply a few words tendered to someone spontaneously on one or another occasion. Too often, I think, we feel that such words will be either superfluous, as they may well be, or should be taken for granted, as perhaps they should. But it doesn't matter, for one never knows ahead of time when such words may be just the ones a person welcomes or that picks their spirits up or turns out to be the best thing that happened to them that day. A couple of years ago, I received a letter from a woman I admitted to college 25 years before who happened to see my name somewhere, and to whom I had taken a minute or so to pen a personal note at the bottom of her letter of admission, telling her that I wanted her to know that she was being admitted in her own right, and not just because, as was the case, she happened to be married to a current student. 
Her letter to me described the quite difficult path her life had taken. Abandoned with three young children, a seven-year bout with cancer, and much more. Until recently, when she had come out on the happy side of life with a new family and good health. She wrote me 25 years later because she just wanted me to know that she had always kept that personal note of mine in her purse and pull it out to lift her spirits and keep her going when she was in despair. Well, as you can imagine, that very small gesture on my part many years ago turned out not only to mean more to her than I could ever have imagined at the time, but her small gesture in taking the time to write me 25 years later meant at least as much to me at the moment I received it. Uh, keep a sense of humor. By way of advice, let me finally mention that I've also found that it helps a lot in life to have a good sense of humor and that while it's obviously important to take what you do seriously, it's also important that you not take yourself too seriously. Laugh whenever you can at yourself and with others. Okay, look, I'm not able to mark your graduation by offering a plan to bringing peace in the Middle East, nor a cure for SARS or the ravages of AIDS in Africa. What I can say is that I am banking on there being some among you, the members of the class of 03, who will at one point or another in your lives be able to return to Princeton having contributed to the solutions of these and other problems that beset the world. You have left your mark on Princeton in countless ways, in precepts and classes, in labs, theater, dance and music, athletics, journalism, orange key guides, RAs, MAAs, as student employees, and simply in thousands of daily encounters with one another. Princeton continues to be a great place in large measure because of the many contributions you, the class of 2003, have made over the past four years. Now, having mentioned what a difficult time I have at graduation, let me tell you the best part of graduation for me, that it's one of those occasions in life that brings together for a time the several generations of one's family. Reading college applications year after year, one cannot help but become aware of the differences in educational opportunities that distinguish one generation from the next. For years, I have kept on my desk a copy of a passage from a letter that John Adams wrote to his wife Abigail in 1780. It goes something like this. I must study politics and war, he said that my children may have the liberty to study mathematics and philosophy, geography, navigation, commerce, and agriculture, in order to give their children a right to study painting, poetry, and music. Well, update the subjects a bit, and you get the general idea. Many of you have already had, and have ahead of you, a range of opportunities that your parents and almost certainly your grandparents could only have dreamt about. 
but which they've encouraged you to pursue with their love and support. And if you have not already done so, I hope that you will find a quiet moment in the weeks just ahead to express your appreciation to them. With your graduation on Tuesday, Princeton certifies that you have met their high standards. That is no small achievement on your part. But in the long run, you should keep in mind that the high standards that are most rewarding to meet are the ones that you set for yourselves in all aspects of your lives, ones that you quietly go about meeting on your own. And you might want to keep in mind that the most pertinent advice I think I ever received was when some point one pointed out that the healthy life is not one marked by the absence of problems, but rather one marked by the ability to deal in a reasonable manner with the problems that invariably come along. Life has its ups and downs, its good luck days and its bad luck days. It helps to weather all of these if one has already set his or her own due north compass. I would now like to repeat the sentiment I expressed to you when I helped to welcome you to Princeton four years ago. At the time, I read some lines from Yeats. The intellect of man is forced to choose perfection of life or of work. Four years ago, I told you that I hoped that your years at Princeton would prepare you to prove Yeats wrong that you would leave Princeton having learned how not to have to choose between being good at what you do and being a good person. I hope that has happened. Deep in my heart, what I wish for each of you is a life as interesting and rewarding as you have managed to make mine. You have a long way to go and more time to get there than you now realize. Architects take pride in the buildings they've designed, engineers in the projects they've built, poets in the verse they have written, doctors in the diseases they've cured, lawyers in the cases they've won. Me, I take pride in all of the seniors I'm addressing today. I will now leave you with three words. Stay in touch. Stay in touch with Princeton, Stay in touch with those members of the university community who have made a significant difference in your lives. Most of all, stay in touch with each other. Congratulations and happy trails.
Please stand. I invite you to join with me in the prayers of the people. Blessed are you, O God, creator of life. You give us purpose and hope. Blessed are you, eternal truth. You give us minds to know you in the things that you have made. Blessed are you, source of mercy. You know our weaknesses and are always ready to forgive. Blessed are you, lover of souls. You bind in one community the living and the dead. Blessed are you, wellspring of all wisdom. Let us continue in prayer as we share the prayer for Princeton. O eternal God, the creator and preserver of all things, we beseech you to bestow upon this university your manifold gifts of grace, your truth to those who teach, your joy to those who learn, your wisdom to those who administer, your law to those who hold its mission and its work in trust. By these gracious influences of your spirit, bind all who bear the name of Princeton into the company of those who know your steadfast love. Amen. From the Hindu scriptures, the Shanti Mantra. Om Sahana Vavatu, Sahano Bunatu, Sahavidyam Karavavahai, Tejasvina Vaditumastu, Mahavidvishavahai, Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti He. May He protect us all. May He nourish us all. May we work together with great vigor. May our studies be enlightening and fruitful. May we never bear ill will towards another. Peace, peace, peace. May we be reminded here of our highest aspirations and inspired to bring our gifts of love and service to the altar of humanity. May we know once again that we are not isolated beings, but connected in mystery and miracle to the universe, to this community, and to each other. The Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, is reported to have said, Seek knowledge wherever you may find it. May we continue to seek knowledge wherever we may go and entrust what we learn to God. May he give us the strength and faith to use our knowledge to benefit humanity and to strive always for the sake of justice, understanding, and peace. Amen. Dear Lord, I ask you to bless this class 
in the name of Christ Jesus, whose shed blood sanctifies us and makes us holy and pure in your sight. Thank you for the many blessings we received at Princeton and for the trials and tribulations that have stretched our hope and strengthened our character as blessings in disguise. I ask for your continued blessings for our graduating class as we go out into the world and do good works which you have prepared in advance for us to do. In Christ's name. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. From the writings of Siri Guru Nanak Dev Ji, the founder of Sikhism. Contemplate and reflect upon knowledge, so you will become a benefactor to others. Acquire that education which inspires humility and service to humanity. O oh my mind, meditate on such wisdom and become a slave of the true Lord. I have not appreciated what you have done for me, O Lord. Only you can make me worthy. O Nanak, if I am blessed with the name of the Lord, I live, and my mind and body blossom forth. Our Father, our King, bless our families with peace. Teach us to appreciate the treasure of our lives. Help us to find contentment in one another. Save us from dissension and jealousy. Shield us from pettiness and rivalry. May selfish pride not divide us. May pride in one another unite us. Help us to renew our love for one another continually. In the light of your Torah, grant us, the people Israel, and all your children everywhere, health and fulfillment, harmony, peace, and joy. And let us say, Amen.
please stand. The peace of God be always with you. I invite you to share that peace with one another. May these next days be a blessing. As you move toward your commencement, may you have the occasion to see a favorite professor and to thank your families for all their support. May there be time to walk through Prospect Gardens or to take a final run upon the towpath. May you celebrate class day with good laughter and and the stepsing perhaps with a few tears. May there be quiet moments with companions and oh, so much, so much happiness. May these next days be a blessing. As you move toward your commencement, may the source of all blessing uphold and embrace you. And may the fount of all blessing let the sun to shine. Amen. Go forth rejoicing in the power of the Spirit. Thanks.